When William Booth, uh, who began the Salvation Army, um, he wrote a, 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 a sort of a diatribe. It came from a dream that he had, and it was six fears that he had about the church, six things he was really concerned about. And one of those fears, and his, I think, main one, was a fear that the church would continue on in the 21st century and the end of the 20th century uh, without uh, an understanding of the Holy Spirit and without the working of the Holy Spirit. That that whole idea, that whole uh, part of God's truth and trinity would be abandoned. And uh, what he felt was that um, there's no joy in it. That the joy would come out of our work together. And uh, I think that for me, I was uh, in religion for a long time, the business of religion, and sometimes caught in the business of religion. Um, and going through the motions and working really hard at it. And uh, every Sunday, uh, I would find myself forgiven for my uh, shittiness during the week. Um, and then I'd feel very forgiven and then I would go out and do it again. And uh, so that uh, it, in a certain sense, it was if uh, on Sunday there was a different person. Right in the worship service was a different person. But the minute the world started to operate on me, the, the worldliness and the flesh and the devil started to operate on me, um, I became a complete victim and was reactive to everything um, that was around me. Uh, I don't think that you can have a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ uh, without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the whole, an aspect of God. And I do believe that everyone uh, who has come to Christ, everyone has the Holy Spirit in them. The, the thing is that um, I had no idea that there was power in the spirit. I, I, I didn't understand. I just, I thought of it as sort of part of the Trinity. And just like Simeon was talking, I would come out to communion and uh, hope that it would work. And uh, my uh, daughter-in-law, uh, who is, uh, came to church here for Easter, she mentioned watching everybody come up to communion. She said, it's so fun to see people come up to communion. They come up terribly seriously, and then they skip back. And, um, and, I, and, and I was a skipper backer, uh, definitely. Um, but I didn't have a sense of how the Holy Spirit could fill me could in fact inspire me minute by minute, um, frankly, could relieve my suffering heart. Um, how could I be guided by the Spirit in my daily life, every day, every minute? How could I have fellowship with the Spirit? Um, the actual fact is that when I started to relate to the Spirit in a serious way, and had it uh, explained to me, experienced it myself, saw it in brothers and sisters, it had a profound effect on my life. And uh, uh, it's never been the same. I, um, I know nowadays if we talk about being anointed, 
when we talk about the anointing, uh, many people don't even uh, don't use that word. It's not part of their language. Um, if we talk about hearing from God or what God has said to us, for many people, uh, that really makes no sense at all and, in fact, is fairly rude. Have you ever had the comment, uh, well, glad, what is, I think uh, actually a member of my family said to me once, uh, after my mother was supposed to die of cancer and then it turned out she had a 50% chance of survival um, and she actually did live for 12 more years, a member of my family said to me, so, is that like an answer to prayer? You know, feels really good, right? That uh, God you heard you. Um, but what about the fact that she got cancer? Yeah? So when we talk about hearing from God, it can be threatening for other people who are around us. We talk about being led by the Spirit. Folks can be uh, very worried about that. Oh, you think you're led by the Spirit. Well, that's great for you. Um, how do you know that? How do you know that to be true? Um, I'm a woman, and uh, I suffer at my age from all of the sexism and microaggressions that I grew up with. And uh, certainly in the church, as a woman priest, when I started out, the sort of constant comments all the time about whether I was a good mother, whether I could be a good wife, whether I should be in the role that I was in. I know you can relate to much of that. Those voices always telling me, what do you mean you're led by the Spirit? What do you mean you can hear from God. Just uh, be careful. Stay within the lines. And yet that's a, uh, I think as William Booth pointed out, uh, that's religion without joy. That's life with uh, God without power. Um, so in a certain sense, my whole work as a priest now, my dedication, my heart is all about making sure that folks who are in my presence or whom, who've come to me or who, who come my way are filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. That's what I want. Um, so I want to be real about what that might look like. Um, St. Paul made it his mission as well. Um, he said, uh, all who were calling themselves ministers um, were people who were to obtain and be led by the Holy Spirit. So he was certainly talking about something. The thing about the Holy Spirit when, when you're living with it is uh, it's kind of a, a combination. You know, we live in the natural, but the Spirit is super natural. And when they come together, we have a life, a supernatural life, very different kind of life. It's a life of waking up every morning and uh, sort of saying, Okay, what's happening now? Well, where are we going? Who are we going to see? What's it going to be like? What does it look like? It's a whole new way of experiencing life. People uh, who see the fruit of the Spirit often ask us, well, what was your three-point plan? I remember I was in a church that started to grow and lots of stuff happened, and people would say to me, give us your trick. And all I could tell them were the various incidents in which the kingdom had come to us, like a wave hitting the building. And all we had said to that was, all right, okay. 
And then sometimes it fell flat on its face, and then we were like, well, I guess that's how that's supposed to go. It was a whole graceful way of sort of wandering through your day, kind of um, like a nut. <laughs> but I, I have found this craziness to be deeply, deeply life-saving and joyful. Um, it's exciting also because you have the uh, ability, the, the, you're given the, the power inside yourself to allow the law to be where it is, sitting where it is, and not somehow making your whole body filled with anxiety. I was talking, I'm, I'm divorced, and uh, if you've been divorced or you know anybody who's been divorced and you have children, you know what it feels like physically when your ex-wife or husband or partner calls or texts. Uh, you can actually feel physically, uh, oh my God, it's all starting again. As it goes all the way back to the beginning. But somehow, uh, through this work with the Spirit, I'm able and have been enabled, through real victory, to be able to have a relationship with my ex-husband, which I am not reactive. Are you with me? And so I, I imagine in your life, raise your hand if there's anybody in the entire world that when they walk into the room, you feel a little anxious. <laughs> All right. So this is what this is about. It's about the whole experience of going through life, uh, not... Uh, not unfeeling, not without compassion, but without this tremendous reactivity to the flesh and the world. Always looking and saying, oh, where are you? Where are you? Now recently, um, I was actually uh, number seven in Los Angeles to get uh, COVID. Uh, February 18th, I went to a conference in Kentucky in which eight ministers were um, ultimately to be to have COVID, and we all got on planes and spread throughout the United States of America. And I was the one that went to Los Angeles, and uh, they weren't really diagnosing COVID at that time quite yet. And by the time I got extremely sick and went to the emergency room uh, and was starting to really not be able to breathe, uh, by the time that happened, it still took five days to get a result from Atlanta because they didn't have tests in LA. And people started to wear those zoot suits and the thing and look at me. And I wanna tell you something, when doctors are afraid to come in the room, it's very scary. And I, all I had was my phone, so I'm texting. And the bishop said, uh, we think it would be a good idea if you stop texting, just saying. Um, so um, I, played, I, I, I planned my funeral. And sadly, I don't remember what I planned, except that I didn't want a bishop to preach. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. Um, but I remember finally getting to the point uh, and had, had been through the, I know through the Spirit, uh, getting to the point and, and sort of saying to Jesus, okay, okay, so where are we going? What's happening here? They kept rolling in the, the um, 
uh, you know, they were going to intubate me, and they were rolling in the intubating machine. I was like, so where are we going? And uh, <laughs> Jesus said, I don't know, why are you worried? I'm here now, and I'll be there. I was like, oh, good. <laughs> totally satisfied me. Because God's words to us through the Spirit, they're words specifically for us. They're not words that are contrived. They're meant, they speak directly to our heart in those kinds of times. Now, that may have not made any sense to you, but at the time, it was totally sense. It, it, it did everything for me. And I remember I just said to my nurse, give me a Xanax, I'm ready to go to sleep. And I got one and I went to sleep for a long time. <laughs> so um, you think about it, and you realize, of course, Jesus was filled by the Holy Spirit uh, before he began his ministry. He was baptized, and then the Spirit came down. And then if you think about it, do you remember the disciples, and I know you know this, but the disciples were in the room, and they, uh, he said to them, I mean, he warned them. He said, do not go out and do any ministry until you are filled, until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So this was a deep warning, and I get it. I really get it. The power and the presence which is real for us. I think it's a crying shame when the church goes on and on without speaking about the power which is available to us. It's not salvation. It's the power to have victory in areas of our lives which are so painful. Now, of course, we know from Scripture that we do not get, sadly, power in the areas of our lives that we think would be most acceptable to society. I mean, I became a Christian in order to lose weight. <laughs> I did. I was pretty sure that if you joined this organization, well, your hair would become blonde and you would get a thin waist. I mean, this was the University of Michigan in 1976, and I thought that would happen. I'm just saying. The power of the Holy Spirit gives us gifts where God wants those gifts to be where they're supposed to be, in our own heart, in our passion. Simeon was so right. It's about passion, your own. Nothing works without desire. But the desire of our heart, promulgated by the work of the Spirit, allows us to take the kinds of risks, even to the point of death. Truly, to be able to do it to the point of death, because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, and we begin to truly know that. Um, so, I mean, one, one work of the Spirit, I would say, is um, never to try anything without first having some kind of sense that God has called you to it. And the other, which is harder I find for me, and tell me if it's harder for you, I think it's easy, it's okay to sort of say no. I'm used to saying no, aren't you? No. Why don't you do this? No. Why don't you get up? No. No. Why don't you just come along with me and really give yourself to this whole thing? No. No. 
But yes, yes is uh, really hard. Yes is, I'm going to give utterance, as they would say in the Pentecostal church. I'm going to give utterance to what God has given me to say. Now, I know that your heart is moving all the time. I know that when you're in conversation with other people, as you're praying, and I highly recommend the John Wimber, William Booth, Augustinian prayer, which is very complicated. While you're with somebody, you say this prayer, and I'm telling you, it comes all the way from the 5th century and earlier. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, God. You ready? Oh, God. Come on, God. Oh, God. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. There it is. That's the whole prayer. I just told you. I gave you a whole thing. Everything else is gloss. And as uh, you get a word from Christ, give a hug have some compassion. Uh, maybe this person needs an apartment. Uh, I don't know what it is. You'll get a word. And then that's when the spirit has moved into your heart. And the whole question is, are you going to say it? Are you going to say it? And it's scary because sometimes you'll say it. Uh, I, you know, you have to have it on your heart. Like, uh, I think maybe... Uh, uh, I don't know, whatever it is, why don't you buy Wrigley's chewing gum? And it's, that's what's come to you. And you think, well, Wrigley, why would I tell somebody to buy Wrigley's chewing gum? And then you finally say, you say, well, why don't you buy Wrigley's chewing gum? And they go, oh my God, that's what my brother always wanted me to do. I love you. And they throw their arms around you. You're like, shit. <laughs> but that is, that is how the spirit is speaking to us in just that kind of miraculous way. If you ask a great artist or painter or writer or musician, how did you possibly come up with why that line should be there and why that movement should be here and why is it that when I look at that painting I feel like I'm a whole person? They do not give you their three-point plan. What they give you is their obstacles. I didn't, I started here and I didn't know what to do. I had an obstacle. So then I thought, well, maybe I'll do it over here. But then I had an idea, well, maybe I'll come in here. But then I thought, no, I'll work over here. And then after a while, they have a cigarette and they've got a picture. <laughs> That's what living by the spirit feels like and looks like all the way to the point of death, all the way to being in an emergency room and being, and I, you know, it turned out that my uh, nurse uh, who had a ponytail, uh, I adored him, was an incredibly calm and wonderful influence. And as I had to be unhooked and hooked up and unhooked and unhooked up is quite a little violent situation that happens for a while. He, uh, I remember him leaning over and saying to me, uh, you, uh, I, I said, I'm so scared. He said, I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm on all night, which is what I needed to hear from him. And I said to him, do you have a boyfriend? <laughs> he said, no, I work terrible hours. And I said, well, come to All Saints Beverly Hills. You'll meet somebody. And when I, when I got better, he, he came back to visit me. He said, what church were you saying? <laughs> now, I don't know. Was that the Holy Spirit? Was I flirting with my nurse somehow, intimate, you know, to try to, 
I don't know. He, I felt a bond with him. I gave utterance to what it was I had to say. Very, very hard for us uh, as Episcopals. Sometimes, I don't know many denominations here, but written historical denominations. I mean, when you worry about, oh my God, she's Pentecostal. Get me out of this building, Mabel. But, you know... We don't have a problem with being overly exuberant, right? I mean, if we have a difficulty, that's not our difficulty. So, I mean, if you went as far as you possibly could go, it would pale in comparison to just one Super Bowl. Um, the other part of working with the spirit that I found to be really critical. Is this interesting? Yes. Yeah, okay. All right. The other, I'm just, just checking. The other thing that I found to be really interesting is that very often in, in modern life, the interpretation of living this supernatural life is that you can't pray for little things. Like if you pray for a part, if you are, want to be a priest in the Diocese of New York and you say when you're being interviewed that you prayed for a parking space on your way to the cathedral, they will not ordain you. <laughs> so I lied. But um, no, and I became an abject liar because that's what you need. But I think the thing is that think about this for just a minute. I mean, I know we all think about it, but there are billions of stars in the galaxy, and there are billions of galaxies, and they have billions of stars. So we're talking about like a big thing here, right? And then if we were going to go small, we would say, well, there are lots of grains of sand, and then there are electrons, and then the distance between one electron and another by the size of an electron is the size of the number of stars in our galaxy. And, that, and we haven't even started with photons yet. So whether you go little or you go enormous, it's very big. It's bigger, bigger than a Googleplex, right? It's huge. So I just want to ask you a question. Do you think that there's an enormous difference to God between a parking space and a tidal wave? They mean it, there's, there's no difference in God's economy. It's every single bit of your mind and your heart that God is interacting with all the time. Every single cell. And you don't have to understand it. That's one of the main uh, stumbling blocks in the way that we grieve the Holy Spirit is to say, well, I don't, I don't understand you. I don't understand what you're saying, what you're doing. Look, I don't understand breathing, but I am breathing. And I don't understand electricity, but I'm really glad there's lights on. And I'd like, to, I'd like to ask you, how much of your life do you completely understand that you rely on all the time? Yet when it comes to prayer, we say, well, I don't understand. <laughs> well, I don't need to understand. It's a conversation that's always occurring in my heart and my mind, always taking place. So that helps a lot. And everything is little to God. Everything is teeny to God. Your biggest problem is little to God. Um, should I stop for a minute? 
How much time do we have? Wait, I've got half. Do you have, I'm supposed, uh, this is supposed to be interactive. Um, do you have, do you, I can keep, okay, all right. Um, I think another aspect that I've learned in these years about living uh, with the Holy Spirit as a counselor, and if you look at the first um, scripture that I had there from John uh, 16, 7 and 8, it's to your advantage I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, comforter, counselor, helper, strengthener, standby, those are all ways that Christ uh, speaks, that the scripture speaks about the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you to be in close fellowship with you. You know, I think, I know, I'm sure the disciples were very sad when Jesus said he was going to go away. Um, I mean, of course. The, the greatest paintings ever are of, uh, of uh, women and, the, and John saying goodbye to Jesus, you know, the, at the cross, the, you know, of course they were sad. They were brokenhearted. But what he said was that he had to go away. And that if he went away, that then they were with him. But if he went away, then he would put my, himself in them. Listen, with is really good. In is better. With is very good. In is better. When you're with someone, when you're with Jesus, you'd be with Jesus just in that time and that place. Jesus would only be affecting that group at that time. That's who he was in his humanity. But the Spirit is with everyone everywhere. And so the Spirit can do movement and can move in astounding and miraculous ways at the same time for people which is a tremendously exciting aspect of the Spirit. One of the wonderful things to do when you're a priest is to look out at a congregation when the Spirit starts to move. And what's really exciting is you see the first row move a little bit, and then the second row moves, and it's like a ripple of the Spirit through the congregation. But nobody in the congregation knows that it's happening. Only the people up here can see it start to take place. The Spirit moves throughout. And so very often, that's why you're on the telephone with someone and you say, you know, I just realized something. And they say, that's incredible. I just heard a sermon about that. And that's a, the movement of the Spirit as, it, as it's flowing through everyone. Oswald Chambers has a beautiful quote that I love very much. He says, completely unveiled openness before God which allows that person to become a mirror for others. When the Spirit fills us, we are transformed, and by beholding God, we become mirrors. You can sense when someone has been beholding God's glory because our inner spirit senses the character of the Lord. Isn't that a thrilling thing? When you see someone who has been in the presence of God and then they come to you and it actually like electricity 
feels, you can feel the power that comes from them and their love coming through them, spreading to you. That, that's the whole point of that wonderful scripture from, from Paul. We all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror, the glory of God are being transformed into his same image. So that through God's presence in others, brothers and sisters, folks who can help us, people we can reach out to, we are beholding the glory of God. And that's why the answer, when we come up against difficulties, before we start making phone calls, how many of you, you come up to a difficulty and you, you try to phone your smartest person? And, and how many of you, I just want to know, have in your, in your uh, cell phone, mobile phone, cell phone, uh, you have names, maybe you have four, how many of you have four people you could call no matter what? Cool, okay, so four. So let's say how many of you have two? Yeah, some of you had two. Now wait, this is a bad one. How many of you have like six? Yeah, so these are folks that you call, and the fact is, if it's, if it's about this, you call this one, and if it's about that, you call that one, and if it's about this thing, you call that one, yeah? So I would call this telling God how to heal you because you already know the answer. But when we're walking in the Spirit, what we're really uh, maybe directed and helped to do is before we make a phone call like that, to ask God, where are we going, I said when I was in that hospital. Where are we going? What's happening now? And giving God some kind of space to answer that question, and when it's answered in an inconvenient way, the way God does, like says something like, well, clean your house, um, to at some level say yes, thank you, okay. Or call one of our supernatural friends and say, God just told me something and I'm desperate not to do it. Which also works just fine. But just remember something. You could never, nobody can help you. I don't care how much money your shrink costs. And I want you to know they're up to $750 an hour if you're a movie star. I happen to know that. That's absolutely the truth. So no matter how much, yeah, and twice a week, that's $1,500, i am just saying. And so let's say, and three times a week. Um, but so nobody can possibly help you who hasn't, not in that deep heart spirit place, that private spirit only you place, like the actually only you place, nobody can possibly talk to that who hasn't been given power by the Holy Spirit to utter truth to you that they've been given by God. So randomly calling people, even if they told you everything that you needed to hear, even if they're completely right, it won't do you any good because you won't be able to hear it. When we're ready to hear truth, the truth of the Lord, it has to be a truth that God has prepared for us to walk in. And that comes from asking God first, to whom should I go? Or maybe to no one, but maybe to whom should I go? Even what doctor, even uh, whatever it is, to whom should I go? Where should I go? What would that look like? You know, I mean, I know 
people told me lots of things. My God, people told me the truth about myself so many times. I want to, I think about it, I just want to puke. My mother told me the truth about myself. She was a great truth teller. And all that happened when she really got down and dirty is she hurt me. Because I couldn't hear it as love. I heard it as judgment. That's what happens in breakdowns in marriages and close relationships. Is hearing things as judgment that are meant as love. Because we're not able to hear them. Unless through the power of the Holy Spirit we're led to a place of being able to hear them. That's that famous story about Beekner when he goes to a shrink after having paid him so much money, Frederick Beekner, and he says, okay, I've been in analysis for eight years. I want you to tell me, just spend this hour telling me what's wrong with me. And uh, the shrink did. For one whole hour, apparently, Beekner sat there and he told Beekner exactly what was wrong with him. Can you imagine? This was when you were a kid. This is your sister. This is your brother. This is how it happened. This is where you went. This is when you were traumatized. There's this trauma. That trauma speaks to this. This is your situational ethic. This is how you are in your family system. Told him the whole thing. He said he felt like God had landed. He felt like the Holy Spirit, I mean, he felt like the kingdom of God was in that room. He said the room started to glow with the truth of what his shrink was telling him. He went out to his car. He put in the key to go home to tell his wife all about who he was. And he forgot everything the shrink had said. And what about you? What about you? When we're not ready to hear truth, we can't hear it. So there's absolutely no use in wandering around trying to get people to tell you what your heart has to tell you through the Spirit and speak to you. And the whole point, it seems to me, of what we're doing, the work at Mockingbird, would be to have the courage, God-inspired courage, to take the risk to give utterance to some of what God has given you. And I don't have any idea what that is, but I know what some of the gifts of the Spirit are. And um, again, I say, get me out of the room, Mabel, because the gifts of the Spirit are so powerful. I want to speak for a moment, just I'm going to show you a slide, talk to you once about a, a gift of a Spirit that I witnessed as a, a priest. I'm saying this to encourage you to see the possible gift in your life from the most extraordinary place. So I was, um, I was, uh, uh, yeah, I was um, in the basement of Morristown Memorial Hospital because a uh, man was dying of lung cancer. And the sound of someone dying of lung cancer is very painful. My, ultimately, both my parents died of it. And so, but I wanted to pray for this fellow and he was in his last hours, but I was, I don't know, I was hungry or whatever. I wanted to take some rest. So I went down to the, the, it, and it's really at late at night in a hospital, the only place you can usually get food is the, uh, or have a rest is where the employees hang out. So, um, I went down there and, uh, there were a group of, um, uh, Guatemalan and Honduran, actually, as it turned out. And, but I could hear from their accent. Uh, what I was hearing was uh, Guatemala. But anyway, they were praying. And uh, so I went over to join them. 
and uh, they were praying in the spirit and praying in tongues, going back and forth in Spanish, also Nam, which was their native language, and then back into tongues and singing. Um, and through this, I learned that they were establishing themselves in Morristown, New Jersey, stacking in various houses, sometimes four to five families in one house, doing most of the gardening work around town and um, with many children, and they were looking for a place to worship. So I gave them, I, I, I let them have St. Peter's where I was the rector from like one o'clock when we finished for the rest of the day. And uh, through time, um, they became really deeply comfortable in the building, worshiping. At, at that time, the diocese said, well, what you're doing is you're renting your church to people because they're not Episcopalians. But I found out that if you want insurance and you are uh, not, an, and you're using a church building, if I write your, if I call it a, a prayer service and I write the number of people who came in the service book, you're under our insurance. So I made them all Episcopalians and I put the service, and I found this out from church insurance, I'm not making it up, you, you can do that. And um, we decided to run a vacation Bible school for, uh, because we realized that the children were living in houses in the summer in apartments with no air conditioning, uh, sometimes 10 and 11 children watching television for 11 hours, 12 hours while their parents did gardening work. And uh, I had no idea what we were going to do, but I figured, look, we got a fancy building and it's air conditioned. So whatever they do, it's going to be better. And here, we'll watch movies in here. And suddenly, through that work, people started to come and want to teach soccer and art. But it was sloppy. And it wasn't all together for a long time. But it began to grow. And, and after about uh, the first two summers, we really couldn't say goodbye to them. So it became also an after-school program. And we learned that you could have a, a bus from the elementary school drop the kids there. And we... We kept all the kids till six, and then we said if they joined the choir, they could come for free. Um, that worked. Um, and we paid them to be in the choir. And uh, anyway, um, after about uh, eight or nine years, um, when students started to graduate, I, you have to understand in this population that the parents thought graduating high school was a miracle. Uh, but the kids were wise. The kids were interpreting for their parents all the time. And uh, our first group of kids just graduated college. Um, one kid got into Exeter. Imagine that. They were boldly singing, you know, John Donne poems on Sunday. Their vocabulary got quite amazing. We just became the super parents. We made sure they had all the supplies they needed and they excelled astoundingly. Here's a picture of the kids at the first camp um, that we ran. So the camp was supposed to be one week and it went for 10. Because what are you gonna do, send them home? Look at them. How could you send them home? And, and we didn't have anything. We were not at all figured out. I just, I just say this to you because God has always these astounding plans for us as we move through our day and simply pray with people and listen to what's possible and say yes, yes, 
Okay, all right, okay, okay with me. It doesn't have to look the way I thought it was supposed to look. You know, we live in a world in which so much is judged by how much money we make and how successful we are according to the world and the flesh. This is just worldly natural. This is all people living in the natural. And we are trying to climb this ladder endlessly. And then we find out when we're in rung number eight that we're leaning against the wrong building. And I've done that. I've done that myself. The great thing is that uh, the spirit never tires of us. We can just get down from the ladder and do something else. It's astounding. You know, I know people who are in prison for life and have a joyous life. Now, how about that? When I said goodbye to my friend Beth Capo when she was dying, this is about 20 years ago, she was dying of breast cancer. We'd been in prayer groups together since we were very young. And... Uh, She'd gone through already, it was like, well, with your children and your husband, she had four kids. She said, I don't give a shit about any of them anymore. I'm not thinking about them. She didn't mean she didn't love them. She meant, that's not where my heart is. I'm, she had about 16 hours left. It occurred to us sitting there, I don't mean she didn't give a shit about them. I want to take that back. What I mean is she wasn't thinking about them. That's what I mean. Any, because she adored her children, I mean, obviously. Um, but it occurred to us sitting there that the next day, maybe, she would actually be in the presence of Jesus. And we hadn't thought of this idea. And I remember going, oh, shit. And she was like, I know. And I was like, well, what are you going to say? <laughs> and she said, I got Jesus, I have no idea. <laughs> and we hugged each other. You know? Because that was what God gave utterance to at that moment. Through the Spirit. That's intimacy. That's love. That's the comforter. That's the close fellowship, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in such a very, very deep way. And I know that it's scary. Now, Jesus is called the anointed one, the anointed one. And if you look up anointing, anointing is not just having somebody go sealed with the Holy Spirit, Christ's own forever. No, I mean... I mean, I love, I, I love that. But, you know, <laughs> I just want to say, now that we're grown-ups, anointing is being slathered all over your body. From the top of your head all the way through your fingers to the bottom of your feet, being slathered over your whole body with God's anointing. To be precious and valuable. To smear that now you think that's weird that you think that's strange but it's what we really need and these are images that come from our scripture i think that uh, we know there is a holy spirit but 
we tend not to know how to release it, to value it, to know how incredibly pressure, how precious it is. It's like having this enormous amount of money in the bank. You've got a billion dollars of money in the bank and you love Jesus and here you are at Mockingbird, but you don't know how to write a check. You got me? But what we can, we can write this check and, and not just that, we have other people write the check for us. So, um, yeah, I, I do want to have some questions, but I want to close with a little film, um, very short. Um, one of the most gorgeous, wonderful things about the Spirit, now I've given you some today, right? Nothing's too, everything's little to God, all the time, no matter what, right? Yeah? So... And I said that when you're with the glory of God, that glory shines forth uh, to others, right? And so I want you to take a look at this film. This is Mahalia Jackson singing um, Jericho to Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King is getting ready to preach, so, you know, he's here with his, with his note. And, uh, see he's uh he's tense he's very tense at the beginning and she keeps on singing and she's totally unselfconscious notice when you see her that she's totally unselfconscious she's simply in the spirit all the time but she's right in front of him and he's thinking i have 18 television cameras on me and i need to make a, a speech and they just watch how the glow of Mahalia comes on MLK and uh, what takes place. So here, here, here it is.
I can say concerning this great gospel singer in our midst, our dear friend, my great friend Mahalia Jackson, that a voice like this comes only once in a millennium. So I just closed, wasn't that beautiful to see him filled like that and to see her sharing, to see her sharing with everybody, the whole crowd. And you know, the movement in Chicago was a complete failure. Um, Martin Luther King had to move from Chicago because he couldn't get enough backing. That's how he wound up in Montgomery, which is where it was able to happen. So how about that? Not there, but someplace else, this movement. And another just closing piece about the Holy Spirit. If you, you know, we talk about racism. We talk about people who have um, incredible amount of uh, entitlement. We, I suffer, we all suffer from this. We suffer from entitlement. We suffer from uh, so many aspects of our character which are wounded by a world in which some people have and some people don't but astoundingly when the spirit starts to be active in a community and a movement it's astounding the way that stops mattering we talk about he has the whole world in his hands it's astounding the way we're able to look at brothers and sisters when we start to realize how much we need them because they reflect God's glory because God is in them. Because in Principe de Paz, the group that came to St. Peter's, that group, our older women could not finally have Easter unless they decorated the church for them. And you should have seen the scene with a 91-year-old woman going, no, no, a little more to the right. And, okay, 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 I do it, I put it on the right. And I love you, I love you. And they were eating together and everybody, there was real fellowship because it was no longer, uh, it was under the Spirit's guidance, yeah. So there's so much fruit here for us in our industry and I think that's where our hope lies. I think our hope lies in the filling of the Holy Spirit, yeah. The hope Jesus gave us, what we got, till we're there, or there, or there, or there, or wherever it is that we're going. So, any questions or thoughts? I've terrified you. No, no, yeah. I think we have three minutes. Come on. Thank you.
when you're moments when you're what? Do you want to stand up? Do you want to stand up so that you people can hear? I just mean better. How do you try to prompt yourself out of it to get back into experience? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know many of you have experienced, I think at different times in my life, it's been different ways. You know, I mean, right now I've been enjoying um, uh, old reruns of Law and Order. Um, I, I, you know, Ben Casey, the original Ben Casey, Oh, God. Um, so, I mean, a little bit, I get off it. You know, I get out of my way. Sometimes I get mind. I have to stop my brain a little bit, you know? So I sort of stop my brain a little bit. That tends to help. And then I, you know, I, 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 I'm, you're, you're led. I, I, know, I know it's, um, I think you're led to what it is it needs to be. Because there are times in my life, like right now I like Oswald Chambers, but when I was a young Christian for the first 10 years, I detested him. I, I felt that he was so legalistic and that he endlessly told me what to do and I felt like a failure. And now when I read and he, t he gets legalistic, I just go, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then I read the good part. <laughs> you know, one of the nice things about getting older is you just sort of take what you can get and you're happy that there's anything there. I really mean it. I, I you know, you lowered expectations. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's, I would love to answer, except I think it's different at different times. I think everybody in this room knows where that probably is for you. And if it's no place, absolutely no place uh, at all, and I've certainly been in that, usually that means something pretty good is around the corner, quite honestly. I mean, historically, when I've been at, okay, absolutely, no way out, as they say in the producers, remember, no way out. Yeah, I love that line. When, it, when you're really there, usually next is something quite profound. Um, so, gosh, I wish I could be more... It's, uh, you know, different strokes. Here's one thing I would say. If it isn't, Simeon is absolutely right. If you're trying to pile into cement and you don't know about carbine drills, um, stop drilling. <laughs> that would be, yeah, yeah. That would be. So, well, why don't... Why don't we say a prayer and, um, and, and finish up, right? Um, gracious God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, we feel the spirit now. We feel it in this room as we sit. Uh, it speaks to us and we hear its call. So we say yes to you. Yes, yes. Come into my heart totally, completely. Come into my heart. Claim me. I'm ready to go where you send me and where you give me the strength to go. In Jesus' name, amen.